But before I pray for us, one of mine and Julie Beth's favorite movies of all times is um, Pirates of the Caribbean. All of them. You thought I was going to say Passion of the Christ. I've never even seen that one, but I really haven't. That's another story for another day. Um, But my favorite part of Pirates of the Caribbean is when they say, batten down the hatches, full speed ahead. And they've been in some kind of chaos, and there's Jack Sparrow and his motley crew is wondering, should they keep going on? And they get this moment where they're like, yes, let's go, batten down the hatches, full speed ahead. And you know in that moment in Pirates of the Caribbean that they are going to set their sails, they are going to dig the bow of the boat down into the water, and they are about to head into some activity. And it's, you know it's going to be good. The music gets loud. It's, this, is, this is where it's at. Well, these first century Christians that we've been studying in Hebrews for some time now are facing obstacles against all odds. And the writer of Hebrews over and over and over has been saying, batten down the hatches, full speed ahead, dig the bow in, and keep on going. Hope you've heard that over and over, right? Don't bail, don't bail, don't bail, keep going. And today they'll do so. And they're digging down will quite literally ignite a literal hell on earth blazing fire through their lives. Nero will take their driving onward towards Christ and ultimately string them on poles and set them on fire for his parties. They'll face that kind of persecution. But through that, God will spread his kingdom more than anything else. So we've heard that over and over and over. The writer under inspiration knows that people will be wrestling with how on earth do you pull off the Christian life on this earth? And January 21st, we began this journey. We've been through 13 chapters, 23 weeks, 303 verses. 13,103 words of the book of Hebrews has saturated our church. Recap it all with three pictures. (laughs) Chapters 1 through 11, upward knowing, here's what you need to know to keep going. And that will respond, and here's how you will worship if you know those things. And then chapter 13, now how does that flesh itself out in outward living? We've studied that together. All of it screaming, don't bail, full speed ahead, batten down the hatches, keep on going. The natural response to all of that is got to be the question, how do I pull that off in a real world with real troubles? And the divine answer today is going to be, you can pull it off, but the only way you'll pull it off is by God seated on a throne in the heaven pulling it off for you. That's it. That's the only way you'll make it. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, thank you for thank you for your text. Thank you for 
what all 13,103 words have meant to us as we've studied the book of Hebrews. God, as we always pray, we don't ever want somebody out to walk out of here saying, wow, that was funny or that was fun or that was life application or whatever. We just want people to say, wow, the word of God is rich and meaningful and powerful and has everything I need for life and godliness. So today as we wrap up the book of Hebrews in these last couple of verses, will you do that again? Will you make us more dependent upon your word? And will you make Jesus more majestic in our minds than we could have ever dreamed or imagined? Less of us, more of you. Miss your precious and holy name, we pray. Before you're seated, would you read the last couple of verses together? Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Hold on. Don't say the amen just yet. We'll get to that in just a minute. Be seated. So how does one pull it off? How do you pull off this grand knowing of who Jesus is? And, and how do you pull it off in real time at your workplace? Uh, with the family that you have, um, with, with, with the family that you have that you don't want to have, um, with the friends, how do, how do you pull it off? Like how, do, how does it work in real time, all this grandiose knowing of who Christ is and living for his glory on a day-to-day basis? How, like how do you pull that off um, is the question. And I think this passage, under the divine inspiration of the Spirit, certainly, Um, is going to lead us to that answer. And that answer just simply being, you can't. You can't pull it off. If left to you, you will bail. You'll jump ship. You will not finish the course. You will not run the weight race. You will not lay aside every weight that entangles you. All those things that we've studied, those lofty, you just won't do it. Um, But God through you is is where he's going to end up. And he's going to say it this way, and I'll, I'll... Things will pop on the screen, and I hope it makes sense as we go through it. I hope we'll see that any bit of success we have in crossing the finish line is because God has equipped us and supplied us everything we need to cross that line. And not only that, that he will pull us across the line for his own glory. So, how do we finish the race? One more time, the writer of Hebrews says this. Well, we finish the race only by God's peace. Verse 20, now may the God of peace. I think that's a fitting way to kind of wrap up this whole exhortation that he's written, this letter that he's written, perhaps even a a sermon manuscript that he's written. He'll call it an exhortation here at the end. But he, he wraps it up with now may the God of peace. Why do I say that? I think that's a good fitting way to wrap it up. Well, Genesis begins with, um, and if you've been around Safe Haven for some time, you've heard this. Genesis begins with, not in the beginning. There is no definite article in the Hebrew in that verse. It wasn't attached. It literally just says, in beginning, 
which is a phenomenological anomaly. <laughs> In beginning, God. So if we put a the there, then we can point back to a point. There is no the there. It just says, in beginning, God. Whenever that was, whenever God just decided, he created. And in beginning, God created in perfect peace. He didn't need anything. The God that we know who begins all of um, existence and humanity, just in beginning, God in his perfect peace. Genesis begins that way. Revelation ends, we've studied the book of Revelation together, with everything in the world revolving around the throne of God as the centerpiece. And as the throne of God being the centerpiece, everything in the end is in perfect peace. It's not chaos. He's the God, but not only the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, he's the God of of peace. He began in peace. Everything will culminate in peace. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us here that the way you're going to finish, live all this out, is today striving forward with the exact same God of peace. He's the God of peace. That's the God we serve. That's his moniker, if you will. Our God is a God who... Um, knows peace in a way that we certainly won't understand here on earth, but maybe I can help define this, what I think the writer is getting at. Peace is not the absence of conflict. I think a lot of times we think about peace as the absence of conflict, right? I can have peace if there's no conflict. Well, that doesn't measure up to the biblical definition of peace because God has peace and the world is utter chaos, It's absolute disaster, but yet he has perfect peace. He's the God of peace amidst the chaos. In other words, peace is is really wholeness or completeness in the Hebrew language, meaning this, our God is a God who is never shaken. He's never caught off guard. He's never trembling. He's never twiddling his thumbs going, what am I going to do? He's in perfect peace. And he says, my peace I give to you. So if we're going to live this life and strive forward, number one, we focus on the peace that God gives us. It's, it's, it's shalom. Shalom. What better words to conclude a letter to people who have absolutely restless hearts? Remember the context. These people are terrified for their lives. Should we keep going? And he says, yes. Because the God of... Peace is with you. God is comforting in many ways. God's sovereignty is grand. God's wrath is grand. God's justice is grand. But none more comforting than when we realize God is a God of peace. And so he begins that. So here's the deal. Maybe your life has fallen to literal pieces. Not P-E-A-C-E, but P-I-E-C-E. Maybe your life has fallen to pieces and you're going, how do I run the race? And he says... God will pick up your pieces. He's the God of peace. Maybe you've got complete disaster and you're like, man, I just need healing. Whether it's healing mentally or healing physically or whatever. And God says, hey, I got that. I got all those things in my bag. Maybe you're looking at a storm in your life going, this storm surely is going to sink me. This This storm is going to sink me right here. And the God of peace says, hey... On earth, you might take a beating, but if you're mine, I will never allow your sink to ship, 
your ship to sink. I'll never allow your ship to sink. I'm the, I'm the God of peace. God is always producing something for your good and his glory in all things. Always. He's the God of peace. And not one single child of his is an exception to that truth. Not one child. So he begins by wrapping it up saying, here's how you'll strive if you focus on the fact that the God of peace. Now may the God of peace... And he goes on to say this. So we finish with God's peace, but we finish also with God's resurrecting power. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. So now he's turning it to focus on my peace, but also focus on my resurrecting power. And I love the fact that he uses shepherd here. Because shepherd is used in Scripture several times. We'll remember this. In John chapter 10, Christ is referred to as the good shepherd. He's the one who dies for his sheep. Now, this is powerful, and this encourages us because sheep are dumb. It's it's a sign. Now, I don't say that, and I know we have some people in this room who own sheep, and they love their sheep, okay? I won't point any person out, Beth Christian. But they, they love their sheep, but it's a scientifically proven and studied fact that sheep are defenseless, and they're just not very intelligent. As a matter of fact, if, if, if there was a sheep here, and I'm just going to be honest with you, and, and if you were honest too, you would probably say the same. If a sheep was here, and somebody walks up, Pat walks up and says, hey, somebody's going to take a bullet. Either you're going to take a bullet, or that sheep right there is going to take a bullet. I would go, lamb chops for dinner. <laughs> this, you, you would do that. This is, I know there's animal lovers in here and all that kind of stuff, but sheep is just one of those things... And in Scripture, this metaphor of sheep is used over and over and over on purpose. That's the point. A sheep is the most helpless animal there is. And he says, listen, if you want to finish the race, realize that the good shepherd takes the bullet for the sheep. That's how dearly loved you are. Jesus doesn't say... Let him take the bullet, lamb chops for dinner. He says, I'll take it. I'll take the shot. And that's why he's the good shepherd in John chapter 10. And if you want to realize this, focus on the shepherd. If you want to finish the race, focus on the shepherd who's the good shepherd. But then 1 Peter says he's also the chief shepherd. And the chief shepherd is the one who comes back for the sheep. So not only does he take the bullet for the sheep, But he goes to prepare a mansion and say, I I love you so much that I'm going to bring you with me. Now, how can we trust that? How does that give us bow-sinking, driving drive to finish the race well because of what he says? He doesn't call him the good shepherd, the one who dies for the sheep. He doesn't call him the chief shepherd, the one who comes back for his sheep. But he calls him, in this passage, the what shepherd? The great shepherd who does what? is resurrected and therefore has unparalleled power and authority. That's what gives us drive. The fact that his substitutionary work, his death, his resurrection was the very thing that the Father said, yes, unlike any other person, I approve this, resurrected unto life, ascended into heaven, seated on the throne. He says, that one... (laughs) 
You can finish the race well because that one who shares the resurrecting power also gives you that resurrected power. He's coming again to get you. Finish the race well because it's not over. He's coming to bring you home. Don't give up. Focus on that. And that will keep that bow set in and going. He operates from the position of the only one who is exalted at the right hand of the Father. No one else bears that. He has the approval of the Father as the resurrected one to resurrect everyone who trusts in his finished work. That's why we keep going. Every other shepherd, I guess what I'm saying, pales in comparison to the divine one who is resurrected and as the song says, is resurrecting me. That's why we go on. Trust in the God of peace. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. The great shepherd of the sheep. And and why does that help us? Because if we live life gazing upward toward the resurrected one, we'll realize that this around here is not lasting is not permanent, and our future is secure through the resurrected Christ. We focus on Him. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, and then if we're going to finish well, we finish with God's monergistic covenant, one-way covenant. We, We finish with that. He says this, by the blood of the eternal covenant. We focus on that. What do I mean by all of that? Monergistic simply meaning that this is a covenant we couldn't come up with and we couldn't pull off. We finish well because he covenanted with us. Jeremiah 31 says it this way. The prophecy is, I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And all of that is done and secured through the finished work of Christ. And so we focus on that. Christ's purpose was to write the law of God on our hearts and draw us back into a right relationship with the Father. And and so you'll remember, and and I'll, I'll try to be brief, but you'll remember in the Old Testament, the covenant or any covenant was sealed by blood. And they would take a goat and they would cut the goat in half. One piece here, one piece here. They would cut a pigeon, they would cut it in half. One piece here, one piece here. And the blood would be scattered everywhere. And as a covenant... Somebody would walk through those two scattered bloody pieces, and as they walked through that, they would make that covenant. And God says, listen, this is only a sign of what you need, and these, the, the blood of pigeons and goats, it cannot satisfy. And Christ said, listen, for it to satisfy, it's got to be perfect. And the Father says, yes. And he says, then sacrifice me. Slaughter me. This monergistic covenant. I can do what the blood of bulls and goats can't do. I can satisfy. And here's the deal. He says, May the God of peace, who brought you again the Lord, uh, from the dead of the Lord Jesus Christ, may the shepherd, how did he do this? By the blood of the eternal covenant. He says, focus on that. Let that be your, the, what's pulsing through your veins. Your hope, your meaning, your drive. And, and I look around this room. And the chances are, There's somebody in this room who's never trusted in that. You're still trying to work your way. 
I can be good enough. I can do the right things. I can say the right things. I can pull it off. I can, I can do some really good stuff. I can, I can do this. So yes, Jesus, but... And you're wandering around earth trying to figure it out. Where's that getting you? How's that working out for you? Is it causing more stress? Yes, I got the stress of work. Yes, I got the stress of kids. Yes, I got the stress of this. Yes, I got the stress of this failure. Yes, I, I got all these stresses. And I'm trying to work my way to prove to God that I'm a pretty good person. He says, listen, if you want to finish well, focus on the God of peace who brought Christ from the dead through his resurrected power, this great shepherd. How? By the blood of his covenant. Focus here. Focus on what has been done. Not what you do what Christ has done, focus on that. And that will propel you forward. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. I think what the writer is saying is, when we focus this way, focus this way, we focus on our highest dream. The world tells you to focus on your highest dreams, plural. Set aside your dreams, your goals. I want to do this. I want to... Achieve this. I want to get my name this. I want to satisfy. I want to do all these things. The world says, do that. Get you a goal list and blah, blah, blah. And he says, all of that will bog you down. I'm not saying it's bad things. It is good things to have goals. I've got goals. You've got goals. He says, but listen, when you focus here, you'll focus on the highest dream. What is the highest dream of man? To be restored in a right relationship with the God that we've been separated from because of our sin. That's the highest dream. There is no highest dream other than that. What if, you make, <laughs> what if you make all the monies? Like all the monies. Like I said, I didn't, I didn't say it wrong. I meant to say it that way. All the monies. Let's say you got all of them, every single one of the monies, every penny. What if you've got all of them, but you never find a restored relationship with the Father? What did that money do for you? That's not your highest dream. The highest dream is in our sin, we're separated from a father. How do we get back? And he's saying, that's what will get you through. Focus there, the blood of the eternal covenant. Focus there, that's the highest dream. Law on the heart. I will be their God. They will be my people. All of these things, focus there and that will propel you forward. Bow down, set in stone all the way into a right relationship with him. Focus there. Focus there. Where's your focus? Is your focus there? And I want it to be. And the writer of Hebrews wants it to be. And the Father wants it to be. Hone in. 401k in the end won't matter. Applause won't matter. Home runs won't matter. And yes, even mastercrafts won't matter. Maybe. But for all eternity... He will renew our hearts and restore a right relationship with the Father through the blood of His eternal covenant. And that's what keeps us going, church. That's what keeps us going. That's why we're here. And then we finish, well, with God's bountiful equipping. This will be super simple. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, by the blood of His eternal covenant, may He equip you with everything good, Literally, may he make you perfect. He does that through the sanctifying work of Christ. But also, to lack nothing, he's given us everything we need for godliness in life. To understand this, 
First, we got to understand how busted we really are. And I can't think of a better way than to throw this picture up here. Now, we are in Northport, so everybody knows what this is, right? Um, we got a bait casting reel. If, if you're not aware of what this is, we've got a bait casting reel here. And, and all the real fishermen in here go, yeah, that's a real man's fishing reel, right? And then I'll be, I'll be the guy who's honest with you who's like, hey, I like a spin cast reel. See, Zebco, that's my jam, all right? But the bait casting reel, that's for all the real fishermen. And this is what it's supposed to look like on the left. And just for fun, um, everybody who's a fisherman in here, what is this on the right called? A, hey, a bird's nest. Look, <laughs> that's the loudest we've ever got to say right there. Bird's nest. I know what that one is. Troy, monergistic, what are you talking about? Bird's nest. I'm in. Right? Here's the... As he focuses on that, I will equip you with every good thing. I think what he's saying is this. You've got to understand that you think you're this, a clean bait caster, but really, a lot of times in life, you basically make bird's nests. A bait caster, if you don't hold your thumb on that thing just right, that's what's going to happen. And in life, we're pretty much six-year-olds who've been handed bait casters for the first time. <laughs> that's pretty much how my life pans out. Now, I know there may be some people in who's got life figured out. I'm just telling you, I'm not that side and the majority of safe haven. We're over here, okay? Amen? We're on that side. Every time I try to spin something, it just gets... And what he's saying is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, like a good dad, he takes those bird's nests, he'll just kind of pull them out. He'll clean them up. He'll make them look like that. And then he'll hand it back to us. And then what do we do with it? And he says, You know what will get you through? My ability to keep cleaning up your bird's nests and handing it right back to you, knowing that you'll probably bird's nest the thing all over again. He will equip you with every good thing. And how does he do it? He does it through Christian community. Fellow sinners made saints. I was eating with somebody this week who said this, and and it stuck with me. He said, you know, Troy, a lot of people are looking for the perfect church. Of which, squarely, if you're a visitor, I'm just going to be honest with you, we're not. (laughs) We're not. We're not. He said this. You know the church may not be perfect, but it's the one that God's given us. That's good stuff. He equips us through the saints who were formerly sinners. He equips us with the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the convictor, the comforter, the ever-present help in time of trouble. And he comforts us and equips us with his divine word which just gives us everything we need for life. And he has given us everything we need to keep cleaning up our bird's nests.
that's how we make it through. How much of that do we pull off? How much does he pull off? Every bit of it. And then he says this. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great worship received, by the blood of his eternal he equips you with every good thing. We finish well with God's divine will. Why does he do all that? That you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Did you catch that phraseology? 90% of the religion I heard growing up sounded like this. That you may do his will and you work your butt off to do what's pleasing in his sight. What did that text just say? Who does it? He does it. That you may do his will, him working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Upward looking. What is the will of the Father? To exalt the Son. That's it. John chapter 6 is pretty clear. The, the will of the Father is that everyone who looks on the Son believes in Him and therefore has eternal life. That's the will of the Father. The exaltation of the Son and the redemption of His people is the main means by which the Son is exalted. So Christian maturity, bowing the bow down and driving forward, does not come by striving harder, working harder, prioritizing better. It just doesn't come that way. In God's sovereignty, Christian maturity comes as the Godhead three in one morphs and works in and through us through the ways that he equips us. In, uh, equips us. Through the Christian community, he's morphing us. Through the Holy Spirit, he's morphing us. Through his divine word, Hebrews, every Sunday for 23 weeks, he's been morphing us. He does it. That's what gets us through. Our job is just to be enamored by the person and work of Christ. And when you're enamored with Christ, all those other things will massage themselves out. Uh, an illustration, and we'll keep going. I couldn't help but think about this. I was not a good student in school. I know that's hard for you to believe. I know. I get it. It's, I, it's hard. I mean, when you look at me, you're like, he's a lot like Brandon. I mean, you know, IQ's off the charts. I know I've got you duped that way. Right? Um, I love teachers. And y'all remember some of these teachers. You had the teachers who were like, hey, you got to study everything, and you don't know what's going to be on the test at the end of the semester. I knew the moment I walked in that class, I was like, this class is not going to be a happy grade. <laughs> I knew right off the bat. The teachers that were awesome were the teachers that walked in. And maybe it was just they're tired of teaching. I don't know what it was. They were like, hey, look, first day of class, here's the answer key for the final exam. Y'all remember those teachers? And they gave, they're like, here, if you know this, you will have an A. And I'm like, oh, you're my kindred spirit. I heart you. Okay. But that's what he's saying. He said, you have, Christ has given you the answer key right off the bat. And if you focus there, you've got everything you need to drive forward. Just keep looking there. And where do we mess up? We go, it, it can't be that easy. And then we start looking around, right? It's got to be all these other things. And it trips us up. He says, you're going to finish well. 
by allowing him to do work in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. We need to understand our depravity and then match that with his majesty. And that's what gets you through. That's it. I'm a great sinner. Amen. He is an unbelievable savior. Amen. And then finally, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of sheep, by the blood of his eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing his sight. Through Jesus Christ, we finish by focusing on God's glory. To whom be the glory forever and ever. It's an incredible ending, isn't it? What a, what a fascinating thing. What is that? Puberty. 48-year-old puberty. What is that? All of it is just by focusing on his glory. To whom be the glory forever and ever. The most freeing truth that you'll ever find in life is when you realize this world really is not about you. And realize it's all about his glory. And when you realize that, it will set you free unlike anything else. And that's what he's saying. All things his glory. God's a glory hoarder. Like if there was a TLC show, it'd be called Glory Hoarding. He is a glory hoarder. I will share my glory with who, he says. No one. I won't share my glory with anybody. He's a glory hoarder. And when we come in line with that, man, it sets you more free than everything you could ever dream or imagine. And so we finish by agreeing with God through the writer of Hebrews. We left one one, one last word. (laughs) And all God's people said? Amen. 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 May the band come on back up. When we are abandoned to Christ, we'll find that setting our bow in the water, all sails forward, it's pretty easy. It's pretty freeing. There is a PS. I know, I know there's some of you in here who's like, hey, hey, hey. There's, there's a couple more verses there at the end. If we don't read those, I will burn this place flat to the ground. All the OCD people thinking that, raise your hand. Be honest. Y- y'all were like, if we don't read this, I will flat burn. And if you burn it to the ground, we're going to collect the insurance and we're going to build a humdinger of a building. So I'm, I'm not saying... I'm not saying, but I'm, I'm just saying if you do, do it in a way that nobody knows that you burn it. Okay. Um, <laughs> he says this. It's like a PS at the end. He says, oh, man. And then he says, oh, yeah. And also, I appeal to you, brothers. Bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. And it is brief. We took 23 weeks, but to read this would take about an hour. You should know that our brother Timothy's been released, with whom I shall um, see you if he comes. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send to you greetings. And grace be with all of you. What a great ending. May grace be with you personally 
And may grace be with us collectively. Golly. Another book closed up. Stings. It's bittersweet. It stings always to close up a book.